Why do many of us think of sales as being a dirty word? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Is everybody ready for the Mind Dog to make the show? Start the clock! And welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here, as always. Uh, my guest is running a little late tonight, and I'm not sure why. I did not check on her. One of those things where you just assume people are just going to show up and you don't give them a second uh, reminder because you just assume, like I just did. And so I leave myself with some time. Uh, tonight's show was supposed to be about uh, sales is not necessarily a dirty word. Um, and so you're probably saying, well, that sounds like a business show. Why is that on in the entertainment part of the night? And uh, my simple answer is, I don't know. <laughs> as, as you know, I don't pick the dates. I suggest to people uh, when they are guests that the daytime is better for entertainment. I think I might have to start saying that a little more uh, forcefully. Uh, but we'll try to make it as entertaining as it can be tonight. If, you, if you're joining us and you're going to be with us, uh, we'll, we'll have that conversation. If she arrives, I'm going to be checking on her in a moment. I want to talk about my sponsors really quick tonight. Fundwise Capital, you know all about them. I've been talking about them for uh, many weeks now. It's a business uh, credit um, bureau, I guess you would call it. They're a lender matching platform that gets you the best uh, credit lines guaranteed. You can apply online in 60 seconds or less, and there'll be no effect to your credit score to see how much you can get, none whatsoever. Use the funding to get uh, anything you need to start or you grow your business. Um, you right, help me right there. I said start or grow your business. If you don't have a business but you got a solid business plan, they can help you get funding for it. Uh, so check them out. Use the funding for anything you need to grow, to start or grow your business. Start or grow your business. Get the best funding you can qualify for. The strategic lender matching platform searches through hundreds of lenders to find the very best possible option for your unique situation. Uh, they have hundreds of five-star reviews on Google, Trustpilot, Facebook, and an A-plus uh, rating with the Better Business Bureau. They provide unsecured loans, uh, uh, unsecured lines of credit at 0% interest for 9 to 15 months, unsecured term loans, loans based on income, short-term gap funding and bridge loans. They work with real estate, startups, like I mentioned, um, franchises, restaurants, any kind of business. To get started, it's really easy. You just go to apply.funwise.com slash minddog. That's apply.funwise.com slash minddog. And I surely do appreciate you patronizing my sponsors uh, my guest is still a little late i'm going to go check on her and in the meantime i'm going to play a little song so you just sit tight You know that look. And she 
song called pretend tasha smith is the founder of emerge sales training uh speaker and an author uh since growing her company from 80k to 1.4 million in just one year tasha and her team have trained and coached over 8,000 network marketing uh clients she is looking to change people's mentality and have them realize that sales is not a bad word, and I'll say dirty word. Ladies and gentlemen, please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Tasha Smith to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Tasha, welcome. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you so much. Um, super excited to be here. Uh, okay, it's well, it's, it's great to have you here. Uh, um, you were a little late. Was it a time zone thing, or are you not in my well, time zone? My initial confirmation said Friday. So that's when I put it in. So maybe there's a typo on the way back, but no worries. I was at my computer and hopped oh, right uh, That That's fine. So I, I guess it was my mistake. It, I, I blew it doesn't it. matter. It doesn't matter <laughs> at all. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm so used to the guest making a mistake that I assume. Uh, that, <laughs> wow. It could have still, still been, but I was at my computer. Great timing. Um, appreciate your grace. And I would call it, I think a lot of, I think people think sales is a dirty word. I think that's a fine thing to say. Yeah. It, it says, uh, it says a bad word. Sales is not a bad word. I think I read that in your, your bio somewhere. And I was like, well, yeah, yeah I would have went with dirty. Just say, Why not? Well, so why do you think that is that people, people, um, uh, think of sales as a dirty word? Gosh, I think that so many, uh, you know, I work with entrepreneurs. They just, want to not be a salesperson. And I think there's this stigma and there's this idea that everyone thinks about the used car salesman. Right. Right. Or the like pushy person or this, all the images of the movie, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, that if you are, if you identify as a salesperson, then you are high pressure and pushy and you're trying to get the sale at all costs and most people are just, they're good people that want to create win-win scenarios. They, and they'll typically identify as a different type of professional 
who happens to sell a service or product. Uh, but this idea that sales is a dirty word and, you know, not a, I'm not a sale. Don't worry. I'm not a salesperson. Right. I'm not it, trying to tell you anything. <laughs> it's really, it's really detrimental to people's self-esteem, their psyche, their ability to seek the training and professional development that they need to really earn a good living because they have just a really jacked up view about what sales is. Right. And uh, I just want to say, because you just kind of dated yourself a little bit there, that my demographic, surprisingly enough, <laughs> my demographic is 18 to 35. My strongest demographic is 18 to 25, actually. But 18 to 35 is the hugest chunk of my audience. So I'm thinking Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross might be a little <laughs> bit of an uh, old uh, reference for them. So I just want to explain what that is. Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross is a movie starring Al Pacino, Ed Harris, uh, uh, Alan, uh, what's his name now? Alan, Alan Baldwin. Yeah, uh, yeah, Alex Baldwin. But uh, the older guy, Adam something. Um, I can't remember his name now. But a lot of great actors. Jack Jack Lemon is in it, and it's basically about a a real estate scam that actually happened. It was part of uh, a serious serious thing that actually a true story that actually happened in the 1970s, where there were these. Uh, people trying to sell real estate plots that didn't really exist or they were really dead land out in New Mexico that nothing could be built on or grown on. So that's what that reference was in case people <laughs> were wondering, what was Glenn Gary Glenn was? So um, you, I think you hit it right on the head with that stuff. But uh, there is a positive side, side to uh, sales. And uh, people love when a good salesperson uh, meets their needs in the right way. So how do we go about reframing that within the salesperson's mind to say, to you know, some people really love their salesperson and they, they, they appreciate that when it's done right and done with their best interest in, at art. Yeah, I love that. And I think that the first thing is to understand that everyone is looking or hoping at their base level for solutions to their problems and or a way to meet their needs faster or to reach their goals faster. And that what salespeople do is they provide these solutions in exchange for someone's dollars. And so when a customer buys, we what well, all they're saying is I value your solution more than I value my dollars. And when we understand that then our job is to get to know that person, uh, figure out right? What's going to be the most helpful for them and frame it in a way that it's a win-win situation. I think we feel a lot better. Conceptually, I think it's easy, easier. Go ahead. Yeah. I think part of it, Doug, that's the first hurdle is understanding that you're not doing a, a, a not a dirty word, that you're not doing a bad thing for yeah. two people or four people. Uh, that's, that's a hard, the hardest leap to make. But then beyond that, uh, where does your training go from there? And, and what I mean by that, are you, uh, one of these people who espouses things like um, it can be really easy once you grasp like NLP and and all these word tricks and and um, uh, you know just manipulation techniques and all these kind of things that people come up with to make sales easier. Or do you get involved in any of that stuff? Uh, no, I don't. Um, I think that transparency. I think sales is leadership. And what the research Gallup does, you know, all this research and the research says that people want trust, compassion, stability, and hope. 
And so what we what we really looked at through just all my experience, I've been in in sales, direct to consumer sales for 20 years, and uh, we just really look at how can we make it more transparent. And so what we really encourage our clients to do is to always start when you're having a conversation, when you set up an appointment, for example, or a conversation, to always just be really transparent. So say something like, you know, usually what I do is set up an appointment to go over your goals, a little bit about the company, the most popular options. My part will take about 30 minutes. You don't have to get anything, but if you see something like, you know, I'll help you move forward. Is that mm-hmm. something to be open to? Every most people know they need to have a conversation and they know that they need to have, right? But it right. ends up something like, hey, let's set up an appointment. <laughs> and right. That doesn't make people feel good. What I think is really important is, you know, we have the sales process. Most We know most people don't like sales or being sold to. But I like to just take a step back and ask, well, why is it that customers don't like sales people? And right. it's because they're like, it feels sometimes like a trickaroo. They don't know how long it's going to take. They don't know what they're going to go over. It feels very uncertain. And we can communicate certainty in a way that is like so honoring to customers and then they just relax. Um, I think that's the first thing is that when you're going to schedule something or going to talk to someone to be super, super transparent in that process. I think you hit on uh, uh, something there, but to me, uh, there's a huge difference between if a salesperson is approaching you uh, as a cold call and you didn't ask them, you didn't think, seek out anything, you're not actually looking for, uh, actively looking for a solution to whatever problem you might have, and they're assuming you have that problem, and you, you give them the first objection and they push through that and they want to keep hanging on uh, like a good salesperson is taught to do. Overcoming objections is part of it yeah. and not and not taking a no. So we teach people that. And then if it's on a cold call and it's something, somebody hasn't been qualified as really being interested in that yet, those push through objections can turn people off and give us a bad impression of what sales is. Do you agree? Um, yeah, especially if a person isn't listening for sure. So I think that's really difficult. You know, most of the clients we work with work with, uh, we do work really hard with them to get a lot of referrals. Uh, and that's important because then you are doing less cold calling specifically. You're working with people who are connected within your network or within people in your network, which means that, um, it's not really a cold call, right? It's going to be something different. It's going to be something like, hey, I was talking to so-and-so um, and she mentioned that we, it would be a good idea to connect. Is this goal something that's important to you, right? And then that way it's an open-ended question, something that's easy. Well, yes, it's important to me or no, it's not. And then you're in a much better position to be able to have a conversation. Uh, good, good uh, insights there. So, uh, in, in your view, and this—I know this sounds like it's an off, off the wall kind of question—but is cold calling really a necessary thing? Couldn't people uh, actually find leads that are qualified and spend their time more productively finding people that are really interested in their product rather than just throwing darts in the dark and and doing the cold lead thing? And wouldn't that be better for? everybody in sales? <laughs> um, sure. So I, I think that 
we have ideal, like what is our ideal scenario? Yeah. And then there's really what are the resources that we have available? So I do think it's so important to build a great network and to be very, very good at proactive referral generation. At the end of the day, though, the big most amount of impact we're going to have is when we pose a solution that someone doesn't even know, like they don't even know exists. Right. Right. And I mean, I think about this, this idea, I think salespeople are very noble. And it's because, okay, we have these, right, we're trying to solve problems. If we're taking the vantage point of, I get paid to solve problems, not I get paid to convince someone to buy something they don't need, right? So I think salespeople get paid to solve problems. Um, I do think there is some honor in kind of setting your ego aside and stepping into the space and doing outreach. I do think that's an important part of what we do because we don't know if someone is hoping for a solution, but they don't even know where to start. And I think a lot of people get overwhelmed in their problems or their challenges. Where I think it gets tricky is when people don't listen, right? When they try to overcome at all costs, when they don't ask gaining agreement questions, I think that's, I think that's a bigger problem than the cold call in and of itself. Right. We did an initiative in my company um, a year, maybe two years ago, where we just did outreach to one company where we worked with a lot of leaders. And we reached out to people and told them what we did. And it was, I mean, we worked with a lot of people in that company. So we kind of had um, some association, but technically it was a cold call. And we helped so many people who were like, you know what, I've been hoping for something like this. And then we had a lot of people not respond. And we had a few people that we're like, I can't believe you did this. Yeah. Well, that's good. Get, get an insight and a, a way to shoot my down, me down on the uh, <laughs> the idea of doing away with cold calling altogether. But I, 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 I ideal. it's ideal. Yeah. I'm not saying I anybody wants to do cold calling. Yeah. Uh, you know what? I, I understand your point, though, and I got it very well. I understand that, you know, I, I might have a problem I'm not even aware of. And in that case, I would, I would, uh, actually t take some value in somebody uh, pointing something out and, and saving me from myself in, in, in some situations that I'm not aware of. And I, I can actually think of a, a situation where that happened, where some we actually got a home improvement job by somebody who spotted a problem with my roof that I wasn't even aware of and was knocked on the front door. So <laughs> that actually hel it helped in a big way. Yeah, And he was the most um conscientious salesperson i ever met in my life and he wanted he wanted to make sure i wasn't overextending myself on credit and all that kind of stuff and went out of his way to make sure are you sure this is the right deal for you you're not going to be hurting yourself here by taking on more than you can and several times he could have talked himself out of the deal but he wanted to make sure he was doing the right thing and that made a lasting impression and i did refer him to several people because of that so yeah great points all around um, yeah, does somebody have to really, um, have a real honest and true appreciation for the product they're selling? Yes, but I don't think they have to be users of the product. Right. So, um, I had stress fractures. I played basketball in college and I had stress fractures in my shin, so I can't really wear high heels, but it doesn't mean that my friend doesn't love high heels. 
So I do think that it, it wouldn't be a big stretch for me to sell something like high heels, even though I don't wear them myself, as long as I take time to understand the product. But you do have to believe in it because you have to believe that you are in fact solving a problem and not creating a problem. It's like this whole, somebody said to me once, and I, I don't know, a lot of people have heard this, right? You could sell ice to an Eskimo. And I just said, I would never. <laughs> That would be so unethical to sell ice to an Eskimo. But what I would do is I sure as heck would find a coat for that Eskimo. <laughs> I think that there are ethical lines that need to be drawn. Um, I don't think the person has to be like, I use it. I, I grew up, my first five years in sales was selling knives. And I was a college student. Right. And we taught college students how to sell knives. They didn't have to be chefs to understand how they were used and to explain the product to people. Uh, but they did have to believe it was a good product and that it was truly uh, what, what salespeople do is they create a win win scenario. And you have to believe you're creating a win win scenario. You're going to feel really crappy on a daily basis, no matter how much money. And I don't think anybody wants a job where they feel unethically aligned. Does anybody. Um go to school to be a salesperson no but there needs to be <laughs> there needs to be sales school uh I, when i started we had our company had really strong training and that's really hard to come by most salespeople are like watch this top guy or girl and good luck and they don't even know what they're looking for um and I think more. I think the bigger problem is most sales leaders don't have good enough training in how to manage salespeople. Right. They'll typically use quotas and goals and dangle carrots without realizing that what we're trying to do is really build that person up into being resilient and uh, gracious and being able to negotiate well and be able to ask good questions and be a good listener uh, right. to trust. And they don't like. It's just all about. Right. Like, I don't think I think the sale, the biggest training gap is in the sales leader gap. Right. I have a son in law or my son in law was he was a very good salesperson from the time I met him when he was like 15, 16 years old, working at a local retail place. And he's still working. He's a retail guy and he's still in retail, but he's been the leader in in the place he works i'm not going to mention the brand but uh he, he's been the leader there since he was 17 or 18 years old he's now about 30 and he's still the the best salesperson they have there uh so uh, the question i'm leading to is uh, can somebody be a natural born salesperson <laughs> um i i do think that people can naturally connect with people easily um, I will say though, I am not a natural person. And that's why I run a sales training company because I understand there's going to be a small percentage of people that have a knack for communication and influence. Uh, then there are people like me that if it's not written on a piece of paper, I won't know even to say it. And so my, my disadvantage um, became an advantage because I took the skill that I had in school, which was to be studious and to learn the craft, learn things. Uh, and I applied that to sales. And what that gives you is an opportunity to be just incredibly effective because you become a student of sales. One of the things that uh, we, I've studied a lot is introverts. 
can introverts be good salespeople? That's, yeah, well, that's what I was going to lead to next, but go ahead. <laughs> yeah, so most people believe extroverts are good salespeople, but extreme extroverts, they actually don't do well at all. They talk over people. They don't listen well. They become more like convincing, which is what nobody likes. Um, mm. Introverts actually do okay, except the problem is that all the training is typically run by extroverts. Right. So, like the like, it almost it's a self fulfilling prophecy of pushiness. And as soon as you give uh, an introvert an agenda, three or four strong like get to know the situation questions, um, their all their strengths start to kick in. Like their introverts are able to build trust faster. They're great at one on one relationships, um, which is really really good for high higher priced items. Um, and they tend to do, they tend to do pretty well as long as they know what to say. Right. Problem is, is that they're shadowing someone who's an extrovert. They're in a lot of, that's a hard, hard connection. So there are books, uh, introverts, guides to sales, different communication books for introverts that are outstanding. Um, and I think are really, really helpful, but the key is really a good process, right? So what your son-in-law has is he's been able to figure out a good process step one, two, three, four, five leads to a sale. And so 100% these things can be taught uh, to people as long as, I mean, I, I call it the X factor. That's not a really great name for it, but they have to, they have this like little twinkle in their eye where it's sort of like, well, challenge accepted, right? If someone throws them, my husband, um, he actually sold nice for a, a while and did pretty well because the process was so good. But his nature is, um, if you give him a concern, like, ah, I don't know if I want tacos tonight, which I can't imagine me saying. So I don't know if I want Chinese food tonight. <laughs> like, okay. Right? He won't, he doesn't have like that little twinkle in his eye and says, but I know you like orange chicken and we haven't had it in a long time. Like there's this little thing, like a problem solving thing or I don't know if I'd call it service. That's why I just always called it the X factor in my mind that when you give someone a, I guess, objection, concern, whatever, um, there's something in you that goes, but is there another way? Like in your brain, you don't right. say those words because then you'll be pushy. But there's something that kind of sparks in your brain. If you don't have that, it's going to be really, really difficult to ever do well. Because then you're not negotiating, you're not creating win-win scenarios. But if you have that little bit of, well, I wonder if we could figure something out that would work, uh, I think you can be taught. Well, I think going back to where we started this, and I'm thinking of my son-in-law, he never thought of it as a dirty word. He loved being a salesperson. He, he, he relishes it, and he, he wants to do that, something that he wants to do. And, again, I, you can't – that's that you can't teach, the, the ability that, you know, really have a passion for, for doing sales. And I think probably the most uh, successful salespeople I know have that at some level. They really enjoy – they really enjoy the the sale, the the process of the sale. They will love completing a sale and all that stuff. So, um, the question that that evolves out of what you just said, though, is since you're a sales trainer, 
and and often I know you work one on one with people, but you also work with with company teams. Uh, it, do you ever have? Is there a personality that can't be trained to be a good salesperson? And do you ever have to address that with the leadership of a company that you're working for? That these people just do not have the right personality to be trained as salespeople. It, yeah, that- yeah, I think that that comes with just either they can't get like they're so results focused that they can't see a person that I think is really, really like, that's not going to work. The other is just initiative or like a, I have no control or no influence attitude is probably the other one that I think is like, like the victim mentality. Right. Uh, There's a difference. I mean, I think there can be reasons people don't buy or challenges but that just that definite like victim, like, well, you know, nobody wants it. As soon as someone starts using nobody, right? Like these um, extreme ways of describing things, you know, they've just sort of given up on the whole thing because sales is ultimately a law of averages. I could be speaking to 10 perfect, perfect people, right? That in on paper are perfect and still come away with six or seven. Like, it's still not going to be 100%. It never will be. And that all depends on the industry. So there are just averages and sorting that happens naturally. So as soon as you have someone that says, nobody, never, people can't, right? Yeah. They, they I don't even know how they're going to really live a great life because they'll, <laughs> they're probably applying that to all areas. Yeah. Um, interesting. Uh, and you, you, we talked a, a little bit about leadership. You, you mentioned leadership. Now, in companies I have worked for, uh, and again, not mentioning any brand names, where I was a marketing director, um, the sales part generally ended up being in part of family-owned businesses, one, like one of somebody from the family who took on being the sales director and basically uh, did the the uh, accountability of a sales team the way we Glenn Gary Glenn Ross did was having a tote board and, and the idea that somebody had a bad month meant it was a problem and they they were having some problems that need to be addressed and mm-hmm. I know a lot of salespeople are suspicious are superstitious in the way ball players are like I'm on a hot streak I'm not on a hot streak right. is it is it a scientific thing or is it uh, are there streaks and stuff like that do you do you do you address that in your training at all? Like, is it the training? I guess the question I'm going: Is it a scientific proven method that can that results in consistency, or will there always be hot streaks and cold streaks? I mean, I think it's both. I think it depends on the time frame you're looking at. So, if I look at a hot streak as an athlete, right? So, I played uh, basketball in college. I played softball in high school, right? So, I'll use softball, baseball as an example. I could have a game where I went four for four, and I could have a game where I went 0 for four. But if you put those two games together, I have consistency. So I think it, like, you don't know how the law of averages is going to work out. And I think that both are true and they could be true for different reasons. So when I was um, in corporate sales, I had my outline. It was a perfectly executed process and I was hot. I mean, I was so like, boom, 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 boom. And I got a little cocky. And that piece of paper, right, that I used to read through before every time when I walked into the office and I sat down and I opened up my computer and I read through the whole thing 
and said it out loud and then started, you know, doing my job, um, got put underneath my planner or some under some applications. And I stopped looking at it because I had memorized it. Right. And then I hit a cold streak. <laughs> so was the cold streak because of the clients or was the cold streak because I had straight, I got a little cocky and straight from the basics. Well, athlete, I think you just proved that uh, my point that salespeople can be superstitious because I would say it was just a natural, natural occurrence, but you, you drew, drew a conclusion between uh, memorizing it and, and putting the paper away. <laughs> so that, that is a little bit of a, just the fact that you would even consider that is a little superstitious. Yes. <laughs> well, no, because I, I missed questions. Oh, Oh. Right, because I was operating from memory, and I got sloppy. My technique got sloppy. Oh, okay, yeah. Right, so I was started missing certain key questions that led to poor results. So we'll go back to the baseball example. Um, so I I hit a lot of home runs my senior year of high school at softball, and if I had a really good game, right, I started swinging for the fences a little bit. So what was when I was at my best, I just tried to hit the ball right back at the pitcher's face. Right. Did that, I I mean, was amazing. Um, not humble. I was very, very good that year. But <laughs> when I started to think I could, this pitcher, I could probably hit it really far, right? My elbow dips a little bit, and all of a sudden, it changes my swing. Because a little bit of arrogance changes technique. And then that technique creates poor results. That would be my argument. Well, I'm glad I brought you into the uh, sports analogy area because you seem to be very good at it. <laughs> yeah, I am. I, uh, I'm a bit of a jock. Surprises <laughs> well, I'm glad we went down that, that road. Um, so uh, you met, you work with teams, right? And so uh, what kind of businesses do you work with? Uh, are they corporations? Are they, uh, you know, what what we we classify as a small business, like 50, 50 employees are under? Uh, what kind of businesses do you work with? So we actually work with network marketers. Uh, so network marketers is, I guess, the easiest way to explain it is most of us know the moms that are selling shakes, essential oils, right? Something like that. And they typically start off with, you know, they just love the product so much. And then they want to, right, share it with people. And then they earn a little bit of money. And now they want to run a business, but they don't really have the sales experience or the sales leadership experience. So we work right there on they're te technically entrepreneurs. And so we work with entrepreneurs um, on their sales process. So either like service based people like me, I'm a business coach or people in the network marketing industry. That's who we work with. That's who we specialize with um, because we like we like working with people that are have an entrepreneurial spirit. Right. So I think a lot of, uh, you know, I didn't even re recognize that as a strong niche for sales coaching or sales training, but I think, um, most solo entrepreneurs, I don't, I've, I, there's a word for that. People who are just, you know, private uh, entrepreneurs, they are, uh, often struggle with the sales aspect because you start your business not necessarily wanting to focus on the sales you started because you're doing what you love you're getting out of something that you felt was a nine to five to do what you really love and so what you really love is generally creation or providing the service or the product 
and not necessarily the selling of it. So I would think that, yeah, that's a huge market in that. I never really uh, considered the, the network marketing people as part of that. I, I guess I, I need to kind of expand my thinking on that because I was thinking of bas- basically, uh, you know, somebody's opening up a landscape business and they don't, they, they, they love landscaping, but they don't really love selling it, uh, that kind of stuff. Do you work with any of those kind of people that I talk about, you know, people who got into it for whatever creative reason that they love their product or service, but it's not necessarily that what you talk about in, in uh, network marketing, which uh, I think of like the Avon lady. Yeah, yeah, the, the Avon ladies doing the same thing. Um, but yeah, so when I started my company, that's exactly who I had in mind. In my mind, it was like CPAs, IT professionals selling their services. Right. You have a few clients, one-on-one clients that are like that. And what we do is we just figure out like who, who are the people that they talk to and we just craft a presenta- presentation, not even the word I would use. I don't know why I said that. A conversation with them. Right, so that when we're talking with a potential client, that they cannot unsell them. Most professionals, most salespeople, do more unselling than selling. What do you mean by that? Well, it's like mo- a lot of customers, I think, are further along in the sales process if you're talking to them than I think about the guy that uh, you know helped you with with your home. He actually had some unselling behavior, right? right? Uh, what customers want is confidence. And so it's a really simple process. We say, here are the things we're going to go over. Say, what is it when it comes to your landscaping, when it comes to your home, what kinds of things are important to you? What else? What else? Why is this important that you take care of this now as opposed to later? They'll tell you the reason that they need to start now without you having to do really a whole lot. Um, and then you just go into step one, step two, step three. And here are a couple of options, which one is the one that works best for you. For most professionals, that is enough of a sales process. There isn't really a whole lot of objection handling that's necessary, right? If you're not doing the cold call or the hard corporate, right? Like for most service providers, just a very clean initial process makes it easy. But what happens is they say things like, hey, you know, I think you might be interested in this. And then you know, I'm not a salesperson, so I'm just going to show you and you let me know if this is something you're interested in. And they become so unconfident that even if the person was interested, they're like, you don't even believe I should buy this. Right. How would I believe it? I remember I went to go buy some new hockey skates and I went in and I, I was planning on spending good money on hockey skates. And I walked in and I said, I know the lightest skates that you guys have. These are my other ones. I want lighter ones because of the shins, I told you. So the guy was like, oh, well, I think the ones you have are pretty good because he was a college kid and he couldn't fathom spending $900 on skates. Well, I had had just a great month in my business and that was my big reward was I was going to buy new skates for the first time in six years. (laughs) And so what he actually did is he was like, well, I think the skates you have are pretty good. And I said, well, are these lighter? Do you think these will be better for my shins? I have no idea. I think the ones you have are pretty good. Right. So that's uh, I walked, I walked uh, out angry. I walked yeah. out angry because I wasn't going to convince him. Right. 
uh, making assumptions is a dangerous thing, and especially in sales, assuming what people can pay, why, and assuming too much about them can definitely get you in trouble. Now, you mentioned, that, and I'm glad I asked you what you meant by unselling, because that guy with the house, he definitely had a couple of um, things that uh would be considered uh, unselling himself first of all he stayed here for five and a half hours uh <laughs> <laughs> and at three and a half hours into it i was thinking like when's this guy gonna leave four and a half hours i was really seriously considering you know what uh, if if we can't sign the contract and get this done now uh you have to leave and i'm not gonna buy because i'm getting exhausted my wife needs to go to bed it's it's getting late and so that's one thing you know overstaying and then people just talk too much i think because people are extroverts who, who tend to uh gravitate towards the sales profession they don't know when to shut up <laughs> and you get so much more accomplished by what's important to you when it comes to getting work done on your house and and in six minutes, you can get a, a much, much more trust and a connection than in two hours of convincing. Right. I think the unselling, the other part of it is just being able to look at someone in the eye, smile and say, I think you should do it. And I don't think you'll regret it. Wow. Yeah. And if they can feel that you're honest about that, sure, that that's a powerful thing. Uh, I think the, the part of it is, you know, it's like it's like everything, I think. One bad apple is all it takes to ruin the the reputation of, of of the whole bunch, right? So when when we deal with one salesperson who's pushy, aggressive, too aggressive, and not listening to us when we say when we tell them what our our, our honest objections or resistance to buying is, and they act like they don't hear it and just kind of want to push through and and go by a uh, uh, a script, that's what can really really get annoying to us, and we tend tend to paint all salespeople with that brush now because I had a bad experience with a, a salesperson. I, I have a feeling I, I know how you're going to answer this question. Reliance on script, because uh, you mentioned before the paper, before, but reliance on script, do, do you teach that as a, a fundamental way? Because uh, as I think you probably noticed with, with this podcast, I, I have a real reluctance to write questions down or be overly prepared. I think being spontaneous makes a better connection with people for me. And since sales is all about making that connection, sometimes I feel like I, a script would not do, do me well. And I do, I approach all the sponsors that I tried to sell on this program. I've never had a script for it and I've had some good success with that. So you're, um, opinion of the scripts and how necessary are, are they for everybody is it you know is it something that that people should rely on so so i actually don't teach scripts at all uh what i what i teach is processes and outlines right that operate as fundamental and a foundation and so i i would still probably argue that you have a pretty like a shell process like a framework right Right, there's still a step A, step B, step C, step C, but the words in between those are not always so important. And what happens in sales is we give people fish instead of teaching them the fish. So what we do, which is a, a smidge extra, it takes a few extra minutes, but we're like, here's the structure. Acknowledge the awkward, give an agenda, give a t time frame, remove pressure, ask for consent. If you have those components, Right. You can fill in your own words because I live in Southern California. 
somebody could live in Texas. We're not gonna say the same words. What happens and why I think salespeople get so frustrated and they go totally off kilter is they have a script that's written in their leader's words, the way they speak. The salesperson doesn't speak that way. So they say it, they sound like super lame or they just reject the thing entirely. And so I actually believe in outlines um, that operate as a foundation as opposed to a script. Uh, me too. Uh, and that, that's basically how I operate everything in life is by outlines. And, and I, I don't necessarily write it all down, but I definitely have a, an outline and idea of where I want it to go. But uh, I stay very, very loose on how I'm going to get there uh, and uh, flexible. I think that's a, that, that's a big key, uh, at least in my life, for, for any of things that have gone right is being flexible. Is that part of what you teach too, is being flexible? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I just think that if you don't have uh, a written down process, we what we run into is we, and you don't do this at all, you're very good at being like in flow, but I think the average person, uh, they are going to be thinking about what they need to say next as opposed to listening. Right. So what's really nice about having a written outline is that you just won't forget anything that's important and you won't have to worry about what am I going to say next? You can just actually listen, take notes, you right. know, outline as, as a guide. Uh, and, and I mean, flexibility, of course, but those are, those should be outliers, not a majority. Right. I got that's, it. that's where people start to unsell. I mean, what I was taught when I was young was 20% will, no matter what, 20% won't, the middle 60% is up to you. Uh, but a lot of people write their processes to avoid the people that won't right? Their actions, their like outreach or their activity addresses just the people that will. But what they really need to do is design everything for the middle, the ones that can be moved. Um, and that's, I think, where the, like having that process is helpful. One of the things that we talk about on, on this show a lot, and because I deal with people in the creative arts a lot is you know following your passion following your dream is there anybody who, who is like a little kid who thinks when i grow up i want to be a salesperson um not <laughs> very many right. my, my daughter who's eight it, i mean she knows she's probably going to take over the company someday so she knows. yeah um i don't i think that's part of what makes sales the industry challenging because nobody says I want to go into it. It's typically right in your sometime in your mid twenties, you end up getting schlepped into a sales role. You trip into one, right. And then you just are not sure. So you kind of a paper bag floating in the wind. Um, and I think that becomes a little bit difficult. And I don't think people ever like a lot of people, they don't make that switch of I'm going to learn how to do this well. Right. Well, that's that kind of why I asked you earlier about do people actually go to school and be, become a salesperson. When I, w I was doing a marketing job for somebody about three or four years ago now, and a kid, they hired a new sales They didn't have any salesperson. The only salesperson they had there was the owner of the company, and he was overwhelmed with doing the stuff that a CEO would have to do. And he was also the chief engineer and, and had his hand. He was a micromanager in the production of the product and all the stuff. And the product was huge packaging machines, packaging machines that automate uh, packaging 
packaging of food and pharmaceutical materials. So this guy was all over the map. So he finally hired a salesperson, hires a guy straight out of school who just paid for a, uh, uh, you know, went into debt, I should say, for about $140,000 worth of education, four-year school, came out with an, a bachelor's degree in and in business administration, not an MBA, but a bachelor's degree in business administration and $140,000 of debt and wanted to become a salesperson. And they put them under me because I was marketing, like marketing and sales are the same thing, which they're not. But so teaching this kid how to sell and, and, uh, what sales really meant. It's, it's like I was forced four years of school was wasted. Uh, so he would be better off going to you to learn, to learn from you uh, <laughs> or, to, in four hours. Right. Yeah. And so but it just baffles me that people can go to school. And I think those are the people that end up, like you say, in their early twenties in sales, not intending to be in sales. It's kind of what they fell into because they got a degree in something that they really, if you're going to go for a business administration, you should get a master's because that, you know, ending up with a bachelor's in it, you're basically saying, I'm going to be a salesperson in something. And if you're not passionate about the product you're selling, you're really not going to be happy with it. So, uh, so for somebody like that and, and young people thinking about going to college, and I don't want to deter people from going to college, going to college if they're meant to go to college, but if they understand that I'm probably going to end up selling, they'd probably be better off going to you. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, for sure. I, I have an MBA and I took zero weeks of sales and the whole economy runs on sales. It's crazy to me. Right. It isn't taught. Um, if, if someone's a college age, I would recommend go look up your nearest um, vector marketing office. That's where I learned how to sell um, and selling Cutco cutlery. And it sounds crazy, but the training is insanely good and really honest, super ethical. Um, and it's served as a great foundation. And now it doesn't really matter. Like I don't get worried about the economy because at the end of the day, I know how to make sales and everyone's always going to need someone like that. Um, and so that we can, you know, we can have a little bit more security in our skill sets. Right. I just want to talk about that really quick. I know we're we're over time now, and uh, I appreciate you hanging out an extra minute or two here because uh, that's something important you brought brought up. The idea that we're in a pandemic, and we've been, and the news has all this stuff about this uh, third great depression, to, and the, the the second great depression in two thousand eight wasn't really a, a depression, but they're calling this a, as close to the great depression as possible. I don't see it, but uh, for from a salesperson's perspective, they might assume or presume that people don't have the money to spend right now, and that's a big challenge for them. How would you uh, address something like that? Yeah, so that comes from absolutes and it comes from people's immediate circles. So if you look at the actual statistics, and I'm not up to speed on these, so these are going to be wrong. But let's say 20% of people now can't afford it. Right. What people fixate on is the 20%, not the 80% who can. And so what it requires is just a little bit more resilience. So what I told my clients when all this went down um, and still continue to is there are going to be more people that can't afford it. That is true. But that doesn't mean nobody can afford it. Right. That's the big difference is we ha just have to be a little bit more resilient. And, um, you know, there's this, there's this concept in psychology that it takes 
five positive comp things. I don't know if you've heard this, like for spouses, you have to give five compliments to negate one negative complaint. Right. Well, that's where it gets hard in sales is because you need five positives and need one negative, but your whole day is eight negatives and two positives. That's what makes it hard. So I just think changing definitions of success, if you are used to having three people interested out of 10, just know it's going to be two now. It's yeah. not a deal. It's not zero. It's never going to be zero. Right. That's not how the law of averages work, but all that all that's happening is the target market has shrunk. The target market hasn't gone to nothing. It's just shrunk. So it's going to be the resilient people that will come out and be okay. And it's going to be the people who operate in absolutes that won't make it. Right. Well, I just want to point out it would be again. Well, a lot of our my, my nighttime audience, especially, is creative people, and so that one to five is like more like one to five billion. Uh, so five billion people can tell you you're the greatest actor, or musician, oh, comedian, no. or whatever, and one person doesn't like you. You're going to listen to that one person and hold that with you forever. It, it, it's different when you're a creative person, right. but for for the daytime show, we're all business stuff, and and that. Uh, I'm going to put this in the business bucket uh, tomorrow, so people, more business people will be be listening to it. But for anybody who's listening tonight, I just want to—I <laughs> understand that number was a little bit off in your. Uh, but from my perspective, about um, this, people can't afford it nonsense. Uh, guitars, since the, the pandemic started, guitar sales are through the roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, and a friend of mine pointed out, you know, we're assuming people can't afford stuff, but keep in mind they're not paying for vacations they would usually be taking. They're not, a lot of them aren't paying for gas. They would be paying two hundred or one hundred and fifty dollars a week in commuting and gas and stuff. Their car insurance has gone down. Uh, so a lot of ways people are saving money that you don't look at it. So I think when people get uh, salespeople, especially get intimidated by the economic times, they need to look at the full picture of stuff and don't let that. Uh, be a hindrance to your psychology on how you approach a sale. Do you agree? Sure, I agree. You may have to change product offerings for sure. We right. some shifts in our product offerings. Most entrepreneurs did have to, right? I mean, restaurants had to shift to take out, right? So most, you may have to shift what you do because you have to relook at your target market and say, okay, what do they need today? Right. Right. And that might change, but it doesn't mean you can't fill that need. Gotcha. Um, and I think that's how, that's probably the best way to look at that. So if anybody's listening uh, who wants to get involved with you, uh, the, the website has been up there. It's emergesalestraining.com. Uh, what, are, what do they expect? What are the steps? Go to, go to your website, and what are they, what's the process there to get involved? Is there, like, some kind of consultation intake form? What do yeah. you do? Yeah, so uh, if you go to our site right now, there's a couple things there. Um, the book I wrote, Customer First Book, uh, the customer first book. Uh, they can get a download a copy there. Uh, our membership is there. If they want, if they are not in network marketing industry specifically, just scroll down to the contact. Uh, let us know you'd like to chat and we'd be glad to chat with you. Right. Uh- uh, thank you very much for that. It's been a, it's been uh, an informative conversation. I'm glad we got you on, and I'm sorry about the mix-up. That was my my problem. That's okay. Uh, it's mine. It doesn't matter. Um, how's life going through life with a celebrity's name? Because there there is a, an actress on television who has your name, and if you if you Google your name, uh, you yeah. get ten pages of her. How's, yeah. how's that? <laughs> uh, 
luckily my it hasn't been too much of a problem. <laughs> um, luckily, I work off mostly referrals, so I, they don't they don't hit so much Google. Uh, you do usually get me if you get you know Tasha Smith emerge, but yeah, I think the first hit when I first started my company was like Tasha Smith is wrapped naked in plastic wrap, and I was like, that's not that was the first hit. <laughs> and then I was like, that's, that's not good, but it hasn't been too, too big of a, a problem, but that's funny that you noticed that. Yeah. I, well, I noticed it with all my guests. Cause when in the promo, I look for a picture of, if I'm not sent one by the publicist who, who I first contact with, I go and look for one on the internet. And I have been guilty. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I had a pastor on, uh, it was pastor, uh, and now I forget his name, but it was a very common name like Jackson. And so I looked it up and there was a, a black man in the pastor suit with the kid. And I put his picture on the promo stuff. And when the time came to the show, I looked down in the window there and it was this very white young man. I was like, Ooh, it's not, <laughs> I got this, this is not the guy I thought it was. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so I often do that, and I noticed. I said right away. I said, "This woman's not an actress. This is this is crazy." And they got her on all these TV shows. Uh, I'm looking for a, uh, somebody who's a sales trainer. <laughs> it's like this, um, so I just, yeah, it, how it must feel to walk the way. Although Smith is a very common name, I guess Tasha with it is not as common because there's not a lot of Tasha Smiths that come up. Not uh, just the two, probably. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, I thank you very much for your time and insight tonight, and I hope you get some uh, bounce out of this and get some people interested in with uh, in working with you. And uh, I look forward to you yeah, having some great success and, and continued success. So thank you. Thank you so much. This was fun. Have a great night. Bye. Tasha Smith, folks. Uh, so, yeah, um, sales training. Sales is not a dirty word. I think that's my biggest takeaway from this is really mindset going into sales. And I know there's a lot more than that, and she can help you with that. That's not my place to help you with that. But uh, I think if you don't have that mind, if you start out with a mindset that what you're doing is something bad or dirty, uh, you're not going to really, really be inclined to be successful at it. So mindset is everything in, in sales, and, and it isn't so many things, really. Um, so uh, I hope you enjoyed this program. Uh, again, I know we're, we're not used to having business stuff anymore at, at night, and I'm trying to really, really steer the business stuff towards the day stuff. Maybe I have to be a little more, um, more hard edge on that and get that done because uh, it serves everybody a better uh, experience when the business stuff is in the daytime and we leave the nighttime for entertainment. I hope you did enjoy this program. I hope you tell your friends about it and come on back and subscribe. Go to my YouTube channel and subscribe there. Go to MindDogTV.com and get on my mailing list. <laughs> and questions or comments, you can always uh, email me at info at MindDogTV.com. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this program again, and I thank you for coming. It's uh, getting late on a Wednesday night, uh, Thursday night. <laughs> and once again, I would just like to remind you, tomorrow I do not have a show. No show tomorrow. I'm supposed to be playing at the Or in Patchogue with Mike, an acoustic duo set uh, that may or may not happen do, depending on weather, and the weather report is not looking so promising here. So if I'm not doing that, I'm actually going to be on a, a live stream if I don't do the, the gig tomorrow, I'll be on a live stream with Doug Stanhope at the uh, in the Funhouse with his uh, his uh, fan his Patreon subscribers uh, talking 
about whatever they talk about. And that should be fun if I end up doing that. But for Saturday night, I have two. Uh, Saturday, I have two great shows. Yol's Hangouts, uh, Yol uh, and Eliam, uh from Yol's Hangouts will be with me at one o'clock, and that will be sort of a comedy based. Let's just have some fun talk for an hour on a Saturday afternoon. And Saturday evening, I'll have Howard Bloom, the author former rock star publicist and, and PR guy for uh, Prince and Billy Joel and Sticks and a number of other great acts during the early 80s, late 70s and early 80s, and then became an author of some very controversial books having to deal with uh, the nature of the world we live in, God, religion, the God problem is one of his books. His latest book is called Einstein, Michael Jackson, and Me, uh, The Search for Soul in the uh pits of rock and roll uh so that should be a very interesting program with howard bloom at eight o'clock on saturday night i look forward to seeing you there until then i'm matt napo for the mind dog tv podcast thank you for coming and bye for now you know that was a long